Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm John Weeks and this is The Leader. Before we start, a quick warning. This episode does contain the stories of Grenfell survivors and some graphic details, which some listeners may find distressing. June the 14th. This year, the date marks the sixth anniversary of a London tragedy, the worst residential fire in the UK since the Second World War. It's been a difficult time for a lot of us and, you know, especially now when, you know, if you think about it, it's been six years, that's 72 months, that's a whole month for each life that was lost. The Grenfell Tower fire, which has since led to a national conversation about cladding, building safety standards and culpability. But six years on, what is the legacy of such a tragic event? As long as I have something to occupy me, I'm okay, but I just don't like being on my own, with my own thoughts. These things do hit you and they never leave you, you know, it's something that won't leave my life. I sometimes have difficulty coping with it. Grenfell was the one story that I really really couldn't shake because it was such a monumental tragedy. You know, I am still in the process of, of healing. This isn't something that happens from one day to the next. And even once, you know, you do feel like things get better. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're completely healed. To honour the anniversary this year, we hear the words of survivors, witnesses, and some of our own Evening Standard staff who are at the scene to report on the events, to tell the story and reveal the true legacy of a modern London tragedy. I'm Tiago Alves and I am a committee member at Grenfell United and I'm also a survivor. I lived on the 13th floor. So I think the one important part to kind of like build up to this is it was, you know, a very normal, uh, a very normal June day. There was nothing particularly special about the day. My sister had her exam the next morning and so she went to bed early, but we stayed up and had, you know, coffee we like we were enjoying our time together i was completely oblivious to what was going on still in my apartment um and then eventually i hear uh, the door swing open my dad is basically telling us to get dressed to go downstairs my sister was already obviously asleep and um we got our stuff ready we put on some clothes and just went down the stairs at this point the fire still wasn't wasn't as big 
as what it eventually became. The At the time, the corridors were still completely clear. There was no smoke anywhere. And then eventually we came downstairs and we went onto the green just by the tower. And we saw the fire develop from a, a fire within someone's apartment come out the window and basically engulf the whole building in flames which you know obviously for a lot of, for all of us there was a complete shock because from what a lot of bereaved survivors understood from the time there was meant to be a stay put policy and then seeing the fire just completely engulfing the building was just a complete shock to all of us and obviously to a lot of the country as well well it's a night you'll never forget although it's a night you'll always want to forget I'm Jeremy Selwyn. I'm a photographer at the Evening Standard. Uh, I arrived shortly after 2am after being called by the night uh, picture desk. It was obvious from the second I got there, and it wasn't fully ablaze at that stage, that this was a disaster about to unfold in front of my eyes. I immediately rang my picture editor and woke him up, Elliot Wagland, told him what was going on and... He immediately got up and went straight into the office. And so Elliot was in full awareness from very early on of what was going on that night. Uh, unfortunately, it was a situation that got worse and worse. The fire became more vigorous and spread rapidly throughout the building. I managed to get to a safe position on a distance away from the building where I could take a picture from up high looking at the building and the tower just became engulfed in front of my eyes and I watched it burn really I suppose and uh, that night will never never leave me. I noticed blue lights outside but I just thought it was someone stuck in the lift in the tower because it happened that often. My name's Joe Delaney uh, I'm with the Justice for Grenfell group it was about five to one or so one of my neighbors knocked and said to me that the tower was on fire um so i went and had a look and it was and we were trying to throw stuff up at the windows to try and wake people and things like that which i now regret because i don't see the point in waking anyone up to be honest what did we wake them up for we just woke them up for a bad death you know they might have had more peace had they been allowed to sleep you know, and just carbon monoxide death instead of a, you know, terrifying, you know, towering inferno type one. It was 1.28 a.m. when I knew that people were going to die in that tower because it was at that point I tried to ring 999 and declare a major incident. I didn't want to go downstairs and talk to the fire service people because I didn't want to get in the way. And yet it wasn't for a further hour until the fire service themselves declared a major incident and decided that, yeah, they needed to get everyone out of that tower at that time. So, you know, I can't help but wonder what would have happened if I had been able to do that at the time. Would we have seen anyone die? One of my dogs, uh, Luna, she basically jumped her lead that night and then I was chasing after her. And as I ran around the block, I just saw two people like jump or get thrown or fall from the tower itself. And I just remember thinking it was just so, I know this is gonna sound stupid, but the gravity was just so relentless. It was like you almost expected mercy to be shown as that when one of them hit the side of the tower on the way down, it's like, that's enough. And it was like, no, he just kept falling. Um, 
and it was at that point I was done. I was really done. It was an extremely difficult situation to, to arrive into. The, the level of emotion on the, on the ground was unbelievable. Pe people, people's faces, uh, the colour had drained from people's faces. They were walking around. It was almost like they, they were zombies. I'm John Dunn, crime reporter, London Evening Standard. Being confronted with that level of human misery is, you know, is something that I, I hadn't come across before. I haven't covered crime, etc over many years and been on some very grim scenes. But this, this was something different. I mean, it's, it's often overused the term, it's like a war zone, but I can only describe it as like a war zone. The tragedy of it, the, you know, the heat from the building, the, you know, stories of people jumping from windows, the smell of the smoke, people in tears, people clutching photographs of their loved ones showing them to the media saying you know appealing for help to try and find missing people the human misery was just on, on, on a scale I'd, I'd never come across and and at the same time in a positive vein everyone was trying to help each other to locate their loved ones and every everyone was positively trying to to come to the aid of those who'd who'd lost you know some possessions or in some cases loved ones Let's take a break now. In part two, have lessons been learned from Grenfell? And six years on, how the events around the fire are still impacting those who were there. I've been diagnosed with complex PTSD. As a result of this, um, I've almost been sectioned twice in the past six years, and I've never had mental health issues before this. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Six years on, government data shows two-thirds of London boroughs still have at least one tower block, with the same combustible cladding blamed for fueling the spread of the Grenfell fire. On top of that, Natasha Elcock, the chair of Grenfell United, says six years since the fire, not a single person has been brought to justice. I mean, if you look at how much effort has gone into, you know, finding out who the Prime Minister was getting drunk with or who he was having a party with over lockdown. If we'd have had even 1% of that effort focused on this matter, we would have seen prosecutions by now. But you see that there's no interest in it. And I can't help but think that it was because of the Prime Minister back then, Boris Johnson, because he was Mayor of London. 
of course, when the fire service cuts were pushed through, when he was questioned at the GLA during Mayor's question time about did he think that the cuts were going to have any form of risk for people's health, he just basically told the questioner to get stuffed. You know, so that's what we're dealing with. You know, such was the seriousness, such was the such was the tragedy and the you know, the ways poor poor innocent people lost their lives, lost their possessions. You know, I, I think cha- changes are, are being made, but there, there, there are still people, it took a long time, and it's still, you know, people are still struggling, you know, to get, get their lives back on track. They were given housing, but not in the same area, so all their, you know, social and uh, ties were cut. Yeah, schools, you know, might have to be changed, etc. Um, so, you know, I, I think I think that the government has had to take this seriously. Um, it's a politically uh, incendiary issue, um, and... Um, but I, th- I think there's more to be done, um, and there is, you know, but reportedly still some, you know, dangerous cladding on buildings, you know, in 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 the UK. It does feel like we're still battling against a system that doesn't want us to succeed, and there has been so much political turmoil in the last few years, which makes it difficult to try and have a coherent plan as to what it is that we do as you know bereaved survivors in you know to change we've had countless uh, secretaries of state we've had various uh, housing ministers and we've basically had a a parliamentary system which is in complete turmoil where the, you know one week we don't really know who we're meant to be speaking to and so because of this it becomes very tedious and very difficult to any, to affect any kind of change because you know at the end of the day we need someone who is able to make a plan, create a plan and, and see it through. But with these constant changes, it becomes very difficult because we have to tell our story over and over and over and over and over again in hopes that one of the secretaries of state or one of the housing ministers decides that our story is good enough that he wants to affect some sort of change. And that's whether that housing minister or secretary of state stays in power long enough to be able to do something about it. And because of this constant battling and this constant fighting, uh, to try and get ourselves heard, it becomes difficult because we spend more of our time trying to explain why change needs to be affected and instead instead of actually trying to come up with systems to better change the system to make sure something like this never happens again. It was like I just stayed in a, as long as I had something to do type mode, I was okay. And I think that's how I've been over the past six years as well. As long as I have something to occupy me, I'm okay. But I just don't like being on my own with my own thoughts anymore because they're not pleasant, if you put it that way. I've been diagnosed with complex PTSD as a result of this. Um, I've almost been sectioned twice in the past six years and I've never had mental health issues before this. Um, and I think it's mainly just the injustice. I think that's what gets me the most. Even such some months after, you know, being a crime reporter, I travelled around London. I think I was in the Grenfell area for been down the A40 again for another story, and I could, you know, I could still smell the smoke. And whether that was a psychological thing or whether the smoke was still there, I think it was more a psychological thing. So it was a long time after. It really, um, yeah, out of all the stories I've covered, it was definitely the most difficult to come to terms with. 
I've had to process a lot of my emotions uh, within therapy. I have been open in the past in other interviews I've done before about how um, I, you know, I am still in the process of of healing. This isn't something that happens from one day to the next. And even once, you know, you do feel like things get better, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're completely healed. My heart goes out to the survivors and the families, you know, because they they've got it harder than I've had. <laughs> You know, there's no way I say that it hurt me. It didn't hurt me as much as them, did it? So I don't look at the picture I took that night. It's a very, very rare thing for me to look at that picture. It's not something that I look back on and say, oh, what a great picture, a great news picture I took. It was a good news picture on the night because it told a story. But on a personal basis, it's something I never look at, never. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, then you can contact the mental health charity Mind on 0300 123 3393 or online through the link in our show notes. There's more news, interviews and analysis in the Evening Standard newspaper and at standard.co.uk. That's The Leader. Thanks for listening. We're back tomorrow afternoon at four o'clock. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.